Hello, welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. And if you can't tell, I am a little sick. So I'm sorry that I sound like this. Uh, also, my name is Damien. <laughs> Hello, Damien. Hi. Hi. Whatever. You, what is your name? I'm Aaron. Thank oh. you. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Oh, man. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. We want Interdependent Study to be a space where we're always learning with one another. Uh, and uh, your name was Aaron? Is that yes, correct? Okay. that's correct. Uh, hi, my friend. Hello. You're up this week. What have you brought to the table today? Um, I So I, I guess a little bit of a, a content warning is um, apropos here. We're going to talk about the Buffalo um, shooting from, yeah. from last week, um, last week as we record this. Um so just kind of a content warning there yes. um, a little bit. But um, so I'm bringing a few articles to the table that are about that. Um, the first one is by Kianga Yamada Taylor called American Racism and the Buffalo Shooter. Uh, another one is called White Power, White Violence by Kathleen Ballou. Uh, and a third one is something you found and sent over to me yeah. uh, by uh, Ibram X. Kendi called The Double Terror of Being Black in America. So these articles all talk about the violent white supremacist um, man who was radicalized online and uh, went to a grocery store uh, in a black neighborhood in Buffalo and live streamed his attack mm. and killed 10 people. Um, and all of these articles talk in different ways um, about the underlying white supremacy of this violent attacker and, and how he was radicalized. Um, and there's just a lot in these articles and um, I think some really meaningful, important context um, that people are writing about and sort of setting the context for this shooting. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so there, there's just a lot in it. There's a lot to talk about, especially between the three of them. Um, and so, yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious what what stuck out to you or what, what you're thinking about now? Yeah. You know, um, I appreciate the content warning that you gave folks there. And, um, it's obviously really tragic what happened in Buffalo. Um, I also want to set the stage here that I, um, mainly focused, uh, reading, uh, Kianga Yamada Taylor's piece, yeah. um, in preparation for today. I, uh, and actually, yeah, I had sent you the <laughs> from Max Kendi piece and I did read that, but, uh, I didn't really take too many notes. Um, uh, mm. but you know, the double terror being black in America seems, you know, uh, like my life. Uh, and the other piece, I think you just said that to me today, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I did read that briefly, but so, you know, I'm focusing mostly here on, uh, Kianga Yamada Taylor's um, uh, really incredible piece. Oh yeah. Um, uh, yeah. and you know, we've, we've talked about her work before, uh, she is fantastic. We, I, I know we both admire and respect her, mm -hmm. um, so much. And I can't really fathom for all three of these folks, really, um, like the notion of, for Kianga, you know, the, her article or piece was published like the day after, yeah. you know, the Buffalo shooting. I, I didn't take note of the other two dates, um, but like to process what happened in Buffalo and the very next day sort of write this really incredible piece, um, uh, and like just brilliant piece for the New Yorker. Uh, I can't imagine what that was like, uh, but I, I, I 
applaud her and appreciate her for doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, And sort of the work that she did to make some clear connections to like the history of racism uh, and inequality and oppression that uh, exists in this country, right? To the the magnitude of the terror that is white supremacy, right? And and also to the conditions that exist in a town like this one, right? Like Mm -hmm. this... um, town that they call black buffalo for a reason right um and the shooter knew that right and and specifically made his way to this place um because he knew that information right Mm -hmm. um so um i really i really uh, appreciated this piece um so much i read it a few times and i just wanted to but i wanted to name that because i think like every single time I think about what happened in Buffalo, it gets me emotional, right? Yeah. To, to think about just this idea that, you know, these folks did this normal thing that we all do. Yeah. You know, go to the just grocery store the grocery on a Saturday store. afternoon. Um, and, and this, this really awful thing happens. Um, and so I think we can all relate to the fear uh, of, of a situation like that and and can sort of fathom ourselves, especially just given the amount of mass shootings there have been in this country um, in our lifetime. Uh, we, you know, we can, we can imagine it. So it just makes me emotional to think about it and to think about the death uh, um, and this sort of act of terrorism because uh, mm-hmm. that's what it is, right? That took place, right? And to think about really the hate and the hatred that inspired uh, this man to do this thing, right. And to murder so many black people in Buffalo and to have intention on, you know, had he not been caught to keep going. Right. Right. Um, I just, it's really hard to sort of, uh, process that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I say all that just to say that I just really appreciate it what she did within a matter of hours to sort of produce this piece um, and to, to talk about what she is trying to process from that incident um, and to make these connections for us, right? Because they're important connections as we continue to have conversations about the need to dismantle and eradicate white supremacy to, to you know, to get to the root of the issue, right? Yeah. Um, and for this just to be such a poignant look and analysis of, of, of not only what took place, but of, again, white supremacy and, and what it is truly capable of in this country, right? Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Um, yeah, I had um, sort of read it before I decided to bring it um, to the table, but given a little bit more time with it, it really... It really captures so much about, um, as you said, the history um, and giving, uh, setting this as part of the history, yes. right? And and connecting all of that together, right? Um, you know, and uh, one of the things that people have been talking about in the wake of this particular incident um, that has been around a little bit more over the last few years. Uh, is the great replacement theory. Uh, yes, um, this right? is what Ibram talks about, right? In his yes. Piece. Um, he talks about in his t- piece. I, I think there's there are like sort of tangential references yes. to it in the other, in all of it. In all of them, um, yes. But, um, you know, it's been around for quite a while in some form or fashion. Uh, it's directly connected to white supremacy. There's ways that the great replacement theory has been not in that particular, in those particular words, but has been around since the, the beginning of, 
the United States at the very least, yeah. right? Um, if you think about um, something like the Chinese Exclusion Act um, as an example of, yeah. of that. Um, so there, this is a deeply rooted, connected to history part of white supremacy. Um, it's also very connected to settler colonialism, right. um, which is, you know, is this idea that settlers remove into uh, indigenous populations and then replace them with settlers. Right. So it's a, an erasing and replacing process. And so this great replacement theory is sort of then the fear of them being replaced because you've replaced other people or there's right. some connection to that. Um, and there's connections to anti-Semitism and a whole lot of other um, sort of uh, hateful rhetoric. Yes. Um, and, and, people's theories about things um and it's all tied into these concepts of white people being superior while also connected to the history as i said and ongoing processes of settler colonialism um you know these kinds of ideas of a so-called white genocide have been yeah. around for a really long time and that's connected to this replacement theory but this replacement theory is being of white people you know being taken over uh is being mainstreamed um, and has been mainstream for the last several years by folks like Tucker Carlson uh, and Donald Trump. Not necessarily yeah. saying those things Not using explicitly, those words, right? Um, but. but talking about things like immigrants taking over the country, or um, you know, Donald Trump really going after like sort of um, banning uh, folks from Islamic countries, right? Uh, in terms of uh, being refugees or, or immigrating here, right? Um, and restricting their their movement. Uh, into the country. So all of that is connected to this kind of great replacement theory. And it's really, um, so I, I think it's important to talk about and why I wanted to bring it up because it's um, really becoming mainstream where there, where yeah. there are political, like there, there are um, political candidates who are talking about it. It's part of their platform. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. It's yeah. like, it's, 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 um, it's out there uh, in, in the public sort of ether it's yes. not just tucked away on in the like radical radical websites yeah. and stuff and and um you know um you know millions of people watch tucker carlson and right. get doses of it in right. some small ways and um there are ways to connect things that he says to to really extreme things that people say on like stormfront and right. other websites like that i think stormfront might not be running anymore i don't it doesn't but matter but like things it, like, like that it, right like, like it so um, yeah, I, I wanted to bring that up because it's been such a piece of this, um, right? Uh, of the discussion around this particular attack. Yeah, well, and it's it's fascinating to me to. I'm glad you brought it up, right? Because uh, really, I, what I'm struck by is this uh, is the is how mainstream it is at this mm -hmm. point, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you know, when you name those two folks, but I'm also really glad that you named political candidates and the fact that we're yeah. talking about it so openly like in campaign messaging in mm -hmm. campaign emailing right and on the floor of the senate right I mean, yeah. people are just openly elected officials folks who want to be elected officials are just sort of openly talking about it right and so this i think i feel like in my lifetime like some of this some of this stuff was as you said more talked about on the fringe right and and mm -hmm. only in certain spaces and spaces that i certainly didn't navigate and now it feels like it is everywhere right, right. and when we think about you know um the the killer in buffalo you know there have been some um 
there's been some work done to reveal part of his screed, right? And his yeah, manifesto, yeah. Mm-hmm. right? Um, and sort of his thinking and um, his thinking around uh, and beliefs, uh, right? Around folks and the great replacement theory and, you know, folks being inferior to him. And really there's, there's some great work. I can't remember where I saw it um, in which piece, but some great work done to sort of map out like the number of times he uses certain racial slurs and, you know, it's clear his hatred for black people in particular. Um, But, you know, he talked or there was some mention of how he really was really truly inspired after what happened on January 6th. Yes. Right. And so you think about these actors, right. Mm -hmm. And these co-conspirators like Tucker Carlson and, and Mm -hmm. Donald Trump and, um, you know, some of our elected officials, right. And how much more mainstream this talk is, this hateful rhetoric is right. And we see what it's doing. Yeah. We see what the outcome of it is. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. so, so, so disturbing. I think, man, it's hard to think about, because I think that, I think that directly connects to this idea of hate. Mm-hmm. for me right and i and i don't like talking about hate right um i think it just sort of is um eh, folks i think know me now if you've been listening you know me aaron like mm-hmm. it's just in direct opposition to who i am as a person right and sure. you know um how i like to think about and see humanity and and to think about and express love shout out to bell hooks right yeah. uh right you know to, for us as we have these conversations to be thinking about and pushing for the things that get us free right but what happened in buffalo right and what's happened in so many of these atro- atrocities right it's just a true expression of hate right and and that's what white supremacy is right and that's what you know this this avowed white supremacist believed in right um sort of bathed in um and so you know i think when i think about the kinds of conversations that you know we like to have in our friendship we like to have here in the podcast you know and and i think we're trying to through this podcast encourage other folks to have these kinds of conversations with their friends and their comrades and family and and children right um uh, i i think we have to call things what they are Right. Yeah. And acknowledge what's real uh, and what's actually at play in these situations. And here it's 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 clearly hate. Right. And so this man, as I talked about, hated black people. Right. And he made a plan to seek out and target black people in this community to murder them. Right. And so one of the uh, quotes I wanted to pull or I pulled from Kiangi Yamada Taylor's piece um, really spoke to this. She quoted Reverend Denise Walden Glenn, who spoke at a rally after this this uh, m- murder, um, this terrorist attack. Um, and I think she said this thing that really brought this point home for me. She said, it was an 18, 19-year-old boy who came up here and his heart was so full of hate that he came to kill us. Someone knew enough to enter the one store that we have here to shatter our world and devastate our community. Mm-hmm. And I think like that to me is just right. The power of hate that the power of white supremacy. Right. And I think we have to talk about, um, especially in light of a tragedy like this, right? Like all of the ways that white supremacy shows up in our society. Right. Um, and you know, uh, 
she makes the point in this piece about how white supremacy shows up in our actions and our inactions in certain situations, like how it manifests itself in our interactions and our relationship with our loved ones, you know, and how it, as you talked about, rises to power in the form of our elected officials, right? Or our media, right? Our government, right? These folks who have such influence over us, right? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't like talking about hate, but clearly we, we really have to. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I think we have to figure we have we've got to we have to as you said name name the things that are. Yes. Uh and name what they are connected to um and what they're grounded in. Yes. Uh, and and what oh, that's good. what yeah. um what's the soil that these things are growing from, right? Like what how are these things happening? What's the what are the conditions that exist that create them? And then what do we do with those conditions? Right. Um, and we haven't, I don't think, uh, we've really done anything about it. Um, right. Like we're also recording this, um, in the, um, you know, we just heard a few hours ago that, uh, 14 children and a teacher were killed, uh, at a shooting in Texas, um, in an, ele in an, in an elementary, elementary school, school. In, in an elementary school, in elementary school. um, and so, you know, and that's not the first time that that's happened in elementary school, right? No. Sandy Hook is um, within the last 10 years or so. Um, and, um, you know, the the conditions that existed then haven't changed at all or been addressed um, to try to um, approach even, you know, uh, mitigating any of that, uh, any of any of these circumstances that create mass shootings, and so, um, yeah, I think we have to name things. We've got to name name what things are, um, and really, really get after that. Um, so yeah, I, I think so. One of the things that I think is important and connected to this conversation is that we frequently describe these shooters, especially when they're white. Uh, as lone wolves oh, and yeah. they are far from it. Um, you know, these are right wing extremists that have been radicalized um, and are educating one another online through forums and chat platforms. And they've been doing that for decades. Right. Um, and yeah. Um, so they're, they're connected to one another. They are inspired by one another. Yes. Um, and Kathleen Ballou's article, um, she really connected the dots and said, in white power ideology, mass violence is seen as a tool rather than an end point. Here we need look no further than the manifestos that are now routinely shared online from gunmen to gunmen, imparting instructions for future mass shooters, as well as explaining how the attack itself is meant to provoke race war and civil unrest. Wow. The Buffalo document includes long sections of text pasted from the manifesto connected to the church, the Christchurch shooting. The El Paso document did the same. Um, and so these people are connected to one another. Absolutely. Right? Like they're not. Um, and and she has a, a, a book I haven't I haven't read, uh, but is um, about how essentially um, the 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 rise of the right wing of the violent sort of right wing um, has really expanded over the last couple of decades. Okay. Um, and so th this is part of that research, right? It's in her sort of understanding of it is that these people aren't lone wolves. They, no. they had, they share beliefs. 
Um, these are tactical decisions that they make to create civil unrest, to potentially provoke a race war. Right. Um, and they're they're all connected by white supremacy. And they're connected by, you know, shared worldview, yeah, ideology, um, and yeah. ideology. And they're making these decisions independent from one another, but they're also connected to a grander sort of idea. Yeah. Um, that that connects them together. And, and the goal is to encourage others to do the same and to join their movement. And so you mentioned that he was inspired by uh, January sixth, right. and that insurrection. One of the the goals of that, I believe, was to inspire some other things like this, yeah. right? To show um, that these are things that can be done. Uh, and so I think I think it's important to sort of set that context too, and how we understand this and and address it, right? Um, too, because it's it's not these aren't lone wolves, right? Right. They're, they're more connected than they have ever been. Yeah. Well, and yeah, we have to name that, uh, you know, and it, it reminds me of, you know, how folks talk about, uh, you know, folks in opposition to abolition, right? And, mm -hmm. and really talking about um, abolishing the police, you know, this idea of bad apples, right? Yeah. It's the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I appreciate sort of Kathleen naming uh, the idea of mass violence is a tool rather than an endpoint, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we really think about that statement, you said in white power ideology, mass violence is seen as a tool rather than an endpoint, right? Yeah. If like sit with that, yeah. right? If there's no endpoint, uh, my God. Right. You know? Um it, yeah. that that gives me chills mm -hmm. to think about. And so mm -hmm. um yeah, these folks are not lone wolves. We have to we have to stop that talk, right, and really get to the heart of the issue. So yeah. I appreciate that. I um, there's so much, <laughs> um, and and again, I really focused on Kianga Yamada Taylor's piece. Um, there's so much in it. Like I said, I read it multiple times. Um, but one of the things that she did that was amazing was she just wrapped the piece up so beautifully. Yeah. Um, and, and by that, what I mean is that she really tied all the points that she made throughout the piece. And we've talked about some of them here today. Like she tied them together so well. Right. And so I just wanted to share her words because um, I, I think they're great. Right. I, I should also say that not only do her words speak to the points she made throughout the piece, but they also connect to these other two pieces that you brought. They've connect, they connect to other things we've, other media we've brought to the table. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and we've tried to, as we've tried to engage in, you know, what we call this learning and unlearning work. And so um, she ends the piece by saying this, the conservative hysteria that seeks to envelop American history in a shroud of innocence and ignorance, and thus refuses to acknowledge the roots of a of racial inequality residential segregation, underemployment is a convenient justification for never having to use the power of the state to address these issues. Mm -hmm. It also perpetrates the delusion that segregation is a choice and that black neighborhoods suffer greater inequities because of something intrinsic to the people who live in these communities. That is not just wrong, it is dangerous. And on an otherwise warm Sunday, Saturday afternoon, a shooter stepped out of the darkness and showed us what happens when we continue to hide from our history. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things I, th I don't remember whose article it was in, um, but it was sort of a paraphrase from the shooter. Um, and I, I, 
hesitate to say it. I, I only bring it up because I think it's directly con- connected to what um, she says here. Yeah. Um, when we hide from our history. Um, and he said he wasn't born a racist, wasn't raised a racist, but he became one once he knew the truth. Uh, and so uh, I think it was um, actually in uh, Ibram Kendi's article. Yeah. Um, and that right like that truth is not truth right like that is the that's those are the indoctrination that's the 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 messages that he's receiving that give him easy answers exactly answers that are easy to understand and not um not reality reality are they're not they're not factual they're not they're not based on reality they're they're designed to um lead people to do this yeah um and so i think you know it this connection i think is so important um right and and so i really appreciated the way that she made this connection between the shooter and this current rejection of critical race theory yes um or anything that the right decides is critical race theory yes um, because these things are connected this kind of racist knee-jerk reaction to people being quote-unquote woke um has been around for years yes um right and but now it feels very overt to me like yeah we talked talked about about, right yeah a a moment ago you know mainstreaming stuff on tv shows and politicians are repeating things um and we're writing laws to outlaw basically critical thinking in education and, and critical sort of learning in schools um so we're creating obvious pathways for these kinds of things to continue to happen Right. Because we're creating avenues for radicalization because people are being presented with easy answers online that say that this is what's happening. Right. White people are being replaced and we have to stop it. We have to stop it. Um, yeah. And you say we're, oh man, we're creating laws about what we teach our kids, but we're yeah. not willing to address the fact that, as you mentioned today, there was this mass shooting in an elementary right. school. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, uh, all of this has really been kind of application, yeah. but, um, I, let's, let's shift our, um, discussion a little bit and talk about how this might apply in our everyday lives a, l- a little bit more, um, directly, I guess, yeah. than what we've been, not that we haven't been, but, you know, um, I, th- I think that Ibram Kendi's article said it really well, Okay, um, that these folks in Buffalo were survivors of decades of racist policies. Yes. Um, Buffalo and the area in New York uh, that, that's around it is one of the most segregated places in the U.S. Um, so all of these less overt examples of white supremacy, less overt than somebody violently murdering people, um, but they still have huge impacts on people, right? Yes. Like the grocery store, we mentioned this a, a moment ago, I think the grocery store where this happened was the only one in the neighborhood. Yeah, The only one on desert, that side right? of town. Yeah. Um, and they, the the folks who uh, live there advocated for that store for years beforehand. Yes. And, um, you know, we were talking so, about this the other day. Yeah. And the one thing that I hadn't thought about, like this was sort of in the days after this happened, right? The fact that like, you have to realize when something like this happens, like that, that grocery store is now an active crime scene. Yeah. It is gone, right? So mm-hmm. this community that had, that advocated, as you said, for years to get it, mm-hmm. now doesn't have access to it, right? right? And and not to mention sort of the 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 stress and the anxiety and the worry and uh, about 
you know, if that's the grocery store I go to and now I'm just scared to go there, even if it were to right. be open, but now it's just yeah. not accessible. Right. Like it's physically not accessible despite it also potentially being psychologically just not accessible as right. a space of, Man. of trauma and, right. and hurt. Um, so, you know, what, what kind of impact does it have on a community to only have that one store? Right. Right. What does it mean when that grocery store isn't available anymore yeah. for whatever that reason is? Um, you know, these attacks are, as I had said earlier, deeply connected to legacies of white supremacy in this country. Um, and so I think we have to we have to recognize those things um, from the seemingly small to the huge. Right. Um, to create new anti-racist realities um, that really are about, you know, um, all of us being able to thrive together. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That, like beloved community that Dr. King was striving for. Oh. So yeah. Great connection there. Yeah. You got me a little emotional. It's, mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's heartbreaking to think about what communities like this town have been through. Yeah. And then this happens on top mm -hmm. of it. Right. So the fact that you name it at the legacies of white supremacy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's it. Absolutely. You know, I, I, when I was thinking about application, I couldn't help but, think about how I felt when I opened Kianga Yamada Taylor's piece and mm -hmm. uh, there's a subtitle or subheader. What are those things called? I don't know what they're called, right? There's the title yeah. and then there's some text underneath it. Uh, shout out to our journalism friends. Tell us what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, she says this, the gunman seems motivated by a, his, by a vision of history pushed by the right in which American racism never existed and black people are undeserving takers. Uh, and you talked about this a little bit, right? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, putting aside the fact that, you know, it stopped me right in my tracks. Uh, you know, I think it perfectly set the stage for not only what was behind this man's, this white supremacist motivation for these killings, but also what I've been thinking about for application here for us is that, you know, we, and I said this earlier, right? But I think we have to keep talking about and sharing the actual history of what has taken place in this country, the mm -hmm. real unvarnished truth uh, and history of what has happened, right? And include the ways in which white supremacy and oppression in all of its forms um, have played out and have impacted the lives of real people in our country, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we have to talk, and we, you know, we've talked about what has happened. We've talked here about what has happened in these states that are banning books, right? And mm -hmm. that are banning teaching, um, you know, and you alluded to that today too. But um, I think we, and I know you believe this too, we have to keep talking about it, yeah. um, especially in places like our public schools. Um, and so uh, we will, we will keep doing that here for sure. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, um, shift to homework all right um and talk about what we what we do to keep keep learning um here um i think mine is around how like how do we de-radicalize people okay right? um i think there has to be both um proactive and reactive things in, in that um and that so i don't know that i have um a fully fledged idea of what that looks like oh, yet. you have you haven't solved it i haven't and solved just, it oh, there are people doing really great work around yes. de-radicalizing people and and stuff but um but i don't i don't currently do that work like yeah. i just i would like to sort of learn learn more about it yeah right? um 
because people are looking for answers for whatever it is that, that their context is, whatever it is that their life is. Um, and they're finding answers, like I said e earlier, that are easy to understand. They're finding those answers from extremists. Yep. Um, and they're all wrong, right? They're all fiction, um, but they're easy to understand. Uh, and so we need to find out how to bring people back from that radicalization um, and also find ways to prevent it. Yes. Um, and we need to find out how we connect people with a better understanding of, of the world around them and, and what is what does community look like in, in that kind of way, too. Um, I think we need to help people connect with the reality that the reason that this economy, for example, sucks mm. for regular people is because rich people and their elected officials want it that way, right? It doesn't have anything to do with immigrants or black folks. Say it, yes. So, like, that's just one small example of this, but that's, I think, one of the, the biggest things is people get pissed off and look for an answer, and then the people they look to point the other to way. this direction. Yeah, um, in this direction, yeah. At, at, at black folks and immigrants and, and talk about great replacement theory and they talk about these other things and... Um, you know, that's not, that's not what's happening. Right. Like that, that happens because they, uh, rich people and their elected officials don't want there to be like working class solidarity across race. Absolutely. Because that, that would be, um, uh, difficult for them yes, it would <laughs> to be. overcome. Yeah. Uh, and so that, you know, that's just one small piece of this, but, um, yeah, I think that's my, where my homework is, is like, what, what are we, how do we de-radicalize people? What are the, what are the alternatives out there for people looking for answers? Um, you know, uh, like most of these attacks are carried out by white men. And yes. so like, what does that look like to, for me as a white man, like, and how, how am I connected to that kind of, um, work to create, um, alternative, you know, uh, political education content or whatever that might be. Um, yeah. So the, all of those things are sort of turning in my head as I think about this. And, and as more of these things sort of happen, um, it's been more and more on my mind. That's big. I, I, I appreciate that. I've been thinking a lot about, um, and, you know, we should certainly talk about this, but you're right. Like so many of these uh, atrocities are carried out by white men. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm really interested to, and we'll talk offline about sort of how you're feeling and processing all yeah. of this and what does that mean? Uh, I love this homework about how do we de-radicalize people and where do we start, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, I think we all could benefit from this, right? But there's certainly uh, folks who need it uh, more than others. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. We, we'll talk more. I, I, um, I'm not going to lie, it was difficult for me to think about homework um, yeah. because I've just been overwhelmed by what happened uh this this hatred this thing these folks are gone mm -hmm. um i remember when it happened i actually was at work and i immediately reached out uh, to one of my best friends and then to some family who i know who have family and friends up in that area and particularly my best friend has some family up in in buffalo and niagara falls and just to make sure like do you, have you heard and do you know anyone there right is everybody are we okay um you know, and thankfully everyone was okay. But um, one of the things I haven't done is just take a look at, you know, 
the victims themselves. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I, I feel compelled to do this. Um, I hate, and I've talked about it here and you've held me accountable to this. I don't watch those videos anymore when that stuff comes yeah. out. It was, it was never a good idea. Uh, and it really hurt my soul. So I don't do that, but I, I feel compelled to, to find out more about the folks who lost their lives. There are some trusted accounts that I follow. And I think, I mean, even like mainstream media is putting out sort of who the victims were. And I think this week, a lot of the funerals took place Mm -hmm. for those folks. And so, you know, just learning about who they were is kind of what I want to do. Um, uh, Because these were real human beings um, who, again, were just out grocery shopping on a Saturday afternoon. And and here we are. So um, that's sort of just... um, what I feel compelled to do is just to learn more about each of them and to know who they are and, you know, about learn more about the tremendous lives that they led here uh, on this planet. Yeah. There's, um, there's a little bit about a few of the people uh, in the uh, Ibram Kendi. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, Yeah. It opens up with a story, right? mm -hmm. Uh, A beautiful story. Yeah. About strawberry shortcake. Uh, Yes. Uh, Yeah. So that's, and that's the um, kind of stuff I I want to know about a man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for this. I, 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 I appreciate this episode a lot uh, and being able to talk about this. Yeah. So thanks for bringing it up. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. being here. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, you, you're up next time. Hey. So what are you bringing to the table in our next episode? I am. All right. So uh, we were talking about this right before we started recording, right? I don't mm-hmm. think we've ever had a journal article. I don't think so. Right? Yeah. And so uh, I'm going to bring a journal article to the table for us. It's a little old. It was published back in 2011 uh, in uh, something called Urban Review, Issues and Ideas in Public Education. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, I should say the name of the journal article. That would probably be helpful. It's called Ending the School to Prison Pipeline slash Building Abolition Futures. And it is by uh, the one and only Erica R. Miners, who we have talked about here uh, on Mm -hmm. the podcast before, uh, one of the co-authors of Abolition Feminism Now. Uh, And so she uh, works at, I believe she still works at Northeastern Illinois University um, in their Education and Gender and Women's Studies Department. Uh, But you know, we've obviously talked a lot about abolition here on the podcast. Mm-hmm. We believe in it. and But I think what will be fascinating about this um, journal article is it focuses sort of uh, in sort of this one lens of abolition, right? Yeah. The school Ending the school to prison, prison pipeline. And not that we haven't talked about that, but I think this will give us an opportunity, a cool opportunity to, to sort of focus mm-hmm. on that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so um, I'm going to read just the first sentence from the abstract here. She says, placing prison abolition on the horizon for scholars committed to interrupting the flow of young people toward prison and jails. This article offers movement analysis, frameworks, and associated questions surrounding advocacy and engagement. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's not that long um, at all, but um, I'm excited to, even though it was published back in 2011, I'm excited to just dive into more work around abolition, right? I think we want to keep that uh, at the forefront of what we're t- talking about here. Yeah. Um, and again, as I said, sort of lean into the the school to prison pipeline and, and yeah. what we can do to sort of uh, abolish that. So looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely. That sounds like a great article. Uh, excited to talk about that next week. Um, 
But yeah, for now, we want to thank you for joining us today for listening to Interdependent Study. Uh, you know what I'm going to ask you to do, but in case you forgot, please follow, leave a rating and review uh, on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. Share our podcast with the people in your life. Uh, follow us on social media. Sign up for our email list to get notified about any new things we've got going on behind the scenes. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. We'll talk to you next week.